me and you. <laughs> oh, but that'd be fun. <laughs> it would be great. I mean, let's not say that to anybody else. <laughs> no. uh, should we wait a little? How are you? Oh, look, there's now. I'm good. Yeah? Hi, Jamie and Bella. you hear me clearly? Wow. Hi, Jamie. Hello. I want to say, how are you both doing? But you both can't answer me at the same time. <laughs> so how are you I each doing? A little, there's a little bit of a delay, but maybe it's my computer. Oh, is that me? No, I think I thought it was me. <laughs> OK. I think it's just Zoom right now. It took me like five minutes. Just I logged on here like four minutes ago, and it took so long to just enter. Okay, you're both feeling like it's slow? Because, yeah, then it maybe it's just... Um, I'm going to try to quit my app and then rejoin. Okay. Hi. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah. I'm good. Thank God. I know it's been it's been so long. It feels like we've been through like a lifetime or something. You know? <laughs> I feel like we've been through a lifetime. That's what it feels like. Does everyone else feel like that? Or is it just me? <laughs> yes. Everyone feels like that. I want to know that my weird life is similar to everybody else's that I'm not getting a special dose of something here. <laughs> no. uh, oh wait, wait, I just realized, is this recording as if like, is this going to be on our class? Maybe we should, <laughs> can I restart the recording? No, uh, I was talking to Susie, no, the girl who uh, helps with this stuff. And she said she usually cuts out the beginning and the end when everyone's like, hi, I'm okay, fine. Fine. oh my gosh, I'm crying. Yeah, we don't need the whole world to know how weird my life is. <laughs> <laughs> We're all the way with you. I'm right there with you, Sarah. Yeah. Oh, did you did did you know that I'm substituting? I didn't know if it was here yeah, or yeah. Oh, okay. that's why we're here. What? Oh, that's oh, you're so sweet. Um. Okay. Let me. I'm trying to figure out how I'm gonna like. Is it very delayed for y'all as well? Oh, everyone. Yeah, I don't know. You, I think totally I think it's Zoom. You guys like your faces aren't moving as you talk. You're saying it's not really like, for me. Yeah, Jamie, your face is frozen on the cutest little thing. It's like you smiling really hard. Oh, now there you are. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> you know what? Let's just, while we're waiting, I mean, should we wait or do people, are people usually whoever's here by now are here? I do have a source sheet I want to share with you. So I'm going to put it here in the chat if that's good. Uh, tell me if everybody gets it. It's a PDF. Um, see. Mm -hmm. Okay, oh, I'm also meant to tell you that your next class is not going to start till 8.15, which just means we get a few extra juicy five minutes for ourselves. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll let you breathe between me and the next one. Um, I really want to like ask each of you personally how you are, but I feel like that could take like an hour, right? <laughs> that will take up the whole hour. <laughs> so please feel free to like message me after or I don't know, WhatsApp, email, Zoom me privately. I would really love to hear from all of you. And I, I just hope you're all good. It's like so crazy. Like I said, like we never said goodbye, but maybe that's a good thing. Okay. I'm putting, okay, does everyone have the source sheet? Um, everyone get it? I put in it chat? in the chat. Yes, I just, I just put it in the Zoom group chat. It's a PDF. I don't have it yet, but maybe it'll take a little bit. I don't know. Oh, really? Should I say, who doesn't have it yet? 
Do I need to maybe send it again if people mm -hmm. just log in? Who doesn't have it yet? I don't. I don't have it yet. I don't know. Um, um, let me just send it again. Maybe if you just if you logged in after I sent it, you don't get it. I don't know. Okay. Are we good? Yeah. Anyone that comes later, I'll put it in the minute one too. Oh, so amazing! Thank you, Dee. That's perfect. Okay. Fantastic. Okay, so what I'm going to do, just close this chat. I'm just trying to make my screen more comfortable. Okay, here we are. Hi. Okay, so as you can see on the source sheet, which I should pull up for myself too, um, I've called the class uh, Sphira to Shavuot, and the subtitle is Weeks of Storytelling to Reveal One Truth. Just to make it uh, mysterious. <laughs> Um, I want to start with something just really small that popped into my head today that's definitely connected to, to what the Torah I was learning and what I want to share. Um, I remember when I was an intern at Bellevue, and you all know by now I have a lot of stories from that time. Um, when I was a chaplain intern, there was this woman that I once visited. I don't remember what she was even in the hospital for. I think it was an injury, like a physical injury, and she like her leg or something. She was waiting for it to heal. Like it was something that didn't really have like a time frame. And I asked her, I think I asked her, how long have you been here? Or like, what's the prognosis? And she said, oh, I'm at day number something. Um, she, she, was, she, she said like, a, she, she gave a number as if she, she was, I believe she was counting. Yeah, she was counting down. She gave like a number, like I'm at day, I've got 30 days left to go. And I said, Oh, so you know when you're going to be released from the hospital? She said, no, I don't. I just chose a number. And I said, that's my healing date. And I'm counting down to my healing date. And I was like, yeah, but what if it doesn't happen? <laughs> what if at day 50 or whatever day you decided is your healing date, your leg is still... And she looked at me funny, like, why would you say that? Like, why would you think that? Like, I didn't understand the motivation of how could she count towards something when there was no prognosis. And she said, that's the way I'm, that's the way I'm surviving this. She's like, I've decided that I have to be healed by this date. And what's keeping me going, what's keeping my faith up every day is that I count towards that end goal. Like that's my heal, that's my date of being fully healed and I'm counting towards it. And I remember thinking like, what's the difference in the approach? Like she picked herself a healed state. She like envisioned herself healed and happy and I'm out of the hospital and she was counting towards it versus counting days of how long I've been in the hospital. And I guess the difference is perhaps if, whether we're actually gonna heal, whether we're actually gonna get to that beautiful place we wanna get to, or we're just hoping for it. She wasn't just hoping for it. She wasn't just counting days. Like, oh, I've been in the hospital two days, three days, four days, I hope, I hope I get to the end. She was like, I know at day 50, I'm out of here. I'm just counting towards it. And it made me think of the Sphira, even though this, in the Sphira to Omer, we're counting up actually, like we count, the numbers increase, but we have an end date. We're not counting endlessly. Like we are counting towards something. And the something that we're counting towards is Shavuot. Like Shavuot is this pinnacle, it's this climax, it's this meeting with Hashem, it's this oneness and we're counting towards it. And it's almost like we're saying, that's who we really are. That's where we're really meant to be. We're not meant to be sitting here in the hospital counting. But, you know, when we, when we put the target there, then we have the motivation and the ability to get through the days that, that you know, are just physically time to, to reach the Shavuot moment. And the word Shavuot, we know, means weeks. You may have, you know, learned this in other classes. Shavuot literally means weeks. So we have these weeks of, of counting, right? Sphira. Lispar means to count, right? We're counting towards something. We have weeks of counting. But the word sefira also comes from the root uh, sipur or lisaper, which is a story or to tell. So during these weeks, we're not just counting numbers. We're not just counting days. We're not even just counting towards something very holy and precious and, and the pinnacle of who we are. We're storytelling in these days. And really as humans, we are storytellers. And I, for me, like stories are everything. I love stories. I love storytelling. I love listening to stories. Um, it's just, you know, I love reading books, but 
but just the concept of storytelling. Even when somebody wants to share something with me, when they share it by way of a story, I find it the most heartening. And I think many of us feel that way because as humans, we are storytellers. What, what does that mean? We, we, when we want to share about ourselves, when we want to find meaning in our lives, when we want to dig deep into something we're going through, we do it by way of story, by way of sharing, by way of telling. And, you know, sometimes you might say, you could have just told me the point. You could have just told me the punchline, right? Like why the whole story? And, and the answer is because it's in a way, it's not the story, it's the telling. And I have to say that quote is not my own. I read it in a beautiful book that I once read and it just stood out for me. It's not the story, but the telling because it's not, about what I'm saying. It's the fact that I have the chance to sit here and tell you and go through the layers of my life and to share the details and the nuances and the experiences I went through. It's, it's not necessarily what I'm saying to you, but it's the fact that I can tell it to you. It's the process of storytelling that through which we uh, discover who we are, through which we discover the things that are difficult for us, through which we discover the things that are light in our lives, through which we discover our truth. And really, when you tell a story, it's a way of sharing something. You're trying to get to a point of truth, right? When you share a story, like there is usually a punchline in the end. There's something that you really wanted to tell. But you travel towards that point indirectly, meaning you, you share, you, you get to that point through layers, through many words. And in the end, you wanted to share something very true, something very real. And during the Spirat HaOmer process, during this countdown or count up, if you want to call it, we're really storytelling. And that's what the word Svira means. It's Lisaper or Sipur. It's to tell. We're telling our stories. What, are the sto what is the story we're telling? If you, if you look at the Spirat HaOmer and you see what we're counting or telling every day, we're telling about our midot, our character traits. We're telling about the different parts of ourselves and how we struggle with them or how we uh, succeed with them or how we fall and how we rise. We're, we're talking about the parts of us that are uncomfortable, the parts of us that we are challenged by, right? Every mida, every characteristic, every spira, every spirotic energy is another uh, attribute inside of us that we, you know, that we contain and that we may have, you know, lost sight of its truth or how to use that trait well, or, you know, how to really maximize it, whatever it is. And so every day as we touch upon another aspect of ourselves, we're really telling a story. And what happens is we're telling this story of our lives really through these weeks. And at the end of the story, meaning the end of the story, we reach the heart of the story. What is the heart of the story, Shavuot? Shavuot is this grandiose um, story of God and the Jewish people meeting in this romantic union. It's really the marriage of, of God and the Jewish people, right? It's our divine relationship. Um, it's, it's when we, we were betrothed and, and married to one another. And what we're going to explore in this class is you know, what, what is that pinnacle of Shavuot? And this storytelling that we do to reach there, how is it connected? What are all the layers bringing us towards? Um, as usual, by the way, please feel free to stop me, to ask me a question, to share something that you're thinking or feeling or curious about. Um, what's unique about Shavuot, and you may have, maybe this has come up in other classes, maybe you've thought about this, maybe you know this for a long time, is that all the other Chagim, all the other holidays, have something that they're marked by. You know, they have their flag, they have their banner, they have their mitzvah, right? You think of Pesach, you immediately think of matzah. You think of Sukkot, you immediately think of the Sukkah or the Lulav and Etrog. Uh, Rosh Hashanah, you think of the Shofar, like every Chag has its it's sort of, it's, it's trimmings, it's decoration, it's mascot, it's thing that you come with. And Shavuot, it seems, doesn't really have anything. I don't know, I'm curious what comes to mind when we say Shavuot for any of you. You can unmute yourselves and share. Um, I think cheesecake. Cheesecake, exactly, right? Like, is that a mitzvah? <laughs> I mean, it's tasty. It's definitely a minhag. It's a custom. Um, and, it's, and it has its roots in our Jewish tradition, but it's not, you know, a commandment. It's not 
something that we make, you know, we have to fulfill or the day is not complete. So, you know, and, and maybe some of us think of going to shul, hopefully maybe we think of hearing the Ten Commandments, but again, there's no clear, like, what is this Chag about? You know, what is the thing we're coming and, and carrying? What's our banner for this Chag? And the answer is really that we're not coming with anything. We come by ourselves. We come stripped down, we come bare. And it's sort of like that moment, you know when someone tells you a story and they're telling you a beautiful story, a true story, maybe a painful story, maybe a story with a lot of complexity and details and, and layers and, and, and maybe there's a timeline to it, maybe it takes place over years, over lifetimes. But at the end of the story, there's this feeling of, you look at them and you feel like you know them almost. You feel like they've shared a little piece of raw truth with you. You feel like they've opened their heart to you. You feel like they've stripped down a little bit and shared something real with you. And, and you feel connected. Stories connect us. So it's almost like we're here we are in these seven weeks of storytelling, of, of, of peeling away the parts of us that are not really us. You know, they're things we struggled with and we're, we're sort of refining ourselves through the telling. And we come Shavuot and we stand before Hashem and we say, I have nothing to decorate myself with. I have no medals or banners or, or I don't even have a commandment from you with which I can, you know, sort of hide behind or, or decorate myself with. It's just me. It's just me, my raw, real, you know, shining light, the way it was the day we first met, before I came down here, before I fell, before I went through the layers of my incarnations, whatever it is. It's just, it's the way we started out, really. That's how I'm coming to meet you. I was, I read something so beautiful on Shabbat and I just, it like might have even triggered this whole class because it was just this one line. I was reading, uh, I'm trying to see the name of the book. I believe it's the Transforming Darkness to Light by Rabbi Yitzchak Ginsburg. Um, and it's a story of like, uh, it's a, sorry, it's a book about um, really healing according to Hasidut and the Torah. And there was just this one line that said, um, when somebody would come to join the circle of the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov would say to them, would ask them, what do you remember? And I, I didn't even have to keep reading. I mean, the, the, I kept, when I kept reading, it sort of explained it further, but just there was something about that line that was just so profound, so poignant, so beautiful. The Baal Shem Tov would say to the person, what do you remember? And, and in doing so, what he was really saying to him is, I know you're here with all your layers, with all your stories, with all your pain and trauma and, and, and incarnations and lifetimes you've been through and places you, you struggle in, but what do you remember from the source? What do you remember from before all of that? What do you remember from that first moment when you were still light absorbed in the source of light before you, your soul even entered a body? And if you can touch that point inside of yourself, if you can remember that, if you can draw on that memory, then everything else will, will unravel. Everything else will fall into place. Everything else will resolve itself. So there's this notion, there's this concept in, in Judaism for sure, and I think in life in general, that sometimes if you touch upon the essence of something or the heart of something, the core of something, you can answer all the questions you had. All the complexity sort of just disappears. It's like you thought you had this deep process you had to go through. You thought you had all these complex questions and fears and, and things to figure out. And it's really like very, very simple. If you can remember that you're just light, that you were resting in, in the cradled in Hashem's light, that's where you started, then no matter what's happening today, lifetimes later, or it seems lifetimes away from that moment, you, you can taste goodness right here, right now. Another book I once read, I don't remember the title of it, but there was something so beautiful. Uh, the author was writing, what if everything happens all at once in our lives? Meaning we tend to think in a linear form, right? That like things happen in a process or a procedure, right? There's a first there's a second, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, like things happen in a linear form. But the author was suggesting, what if we imagine that everything in our lives is actually happening all at once? Meaning the experience of my birth and entering this world as a pure soul in a body, 
is happening at the same time as I'm standing here today as an adult with all these layers that I think have come in the way of that? You know, what if all these experiences are really simultaneous and only because we're human and we're linear and we're very square, we think, oh no, that happened a long time ago. And Judaism really follows this way of thought that everything is happening at the same time. Meaning that moment before you entered your body, that you, when you were a soul still cradled in Hashem's light, that moment is alive now. It didn't happen once. It's not a linear process. It's not that it happened, then you came down, and now you're far away from that time. No. Right now, there is a place inside of you that is cradled in Hashem's light. And if you can access that place, like the Baal Shem Tov said, if you can remember it, remember meaning not a memory as in a distant thing, but remembering as in enter that memory, enter that experience, then you can in an instant be reconnected to your truth, to your essence, to the heart. And then the story is no longer so complex. You know, I was thinking about this more so than ever in this, in this time. I didn't even get to ask everyone how they're doing. I know in, we're all in, you know, we're in different, we're certainly you and I are in different countries and I'm sure we're in different states or cities. And I know everyone is at a different stage of this pandemic and, and this spiritual state that we're in and everything. But I've been thinking just in general, we, we have been, push to this place where suddenly there's almost like all the complexity and all the questions and all the trying to find meaning and answers it's almost beginning to crumble like the only thing we can almost say with certainty right now is we don't know anything is we don't understand anything is is we are so far from we're almost entering this place of great simplicity where everything just is the way it is and and we don't need to figure it out and we just have to trust that there is a great light cradling us all the time and not try to, you know, resolve all the complexity because the complexity, the complexity can drive us a little bit crazy. And you can think you're getting somewhere, you know, oh, I know what that meant. I know what this meant. I know where we're headed. I know what's happening next. We don't, we don't really know anything. And so there's this drive that happens through the Spirat HaOmer process, really also leading to Shavuot, that's taking us from a complexity to a simplicity. And I'm looking at our time. I think we should probably um, get going to our source sheet because what we're going to see now is that although the giving of the Torah, you know, at first glance sounds like, first of all, it was grand. It was a grand experience, right? It was, it was very, there was, a, there was lights, camera, action. It wasn't a quiet um, it wasn't a quiet occurrence, but, and, and, and in general, the Torah seems to be something very complex, right? We know we study it. It's, it's full of paradox. There's so many details. And, and then when you get into the mitzvot, the commandments and, and how to keep things and when to keep it and how to observe it and who's responsible. I mean, it seems like so much, it's almost overwhelming, but actually at the heart of the Torah, at the heart of our relationship with God is something very, very simple, something very romantic, something very sweet, something very pure. And I think as we go through the Sfirat HaOmer process, as we tell the story of who we are, the goal is to reach that sweet, simple, pure, raw, stripped down place where we're just standing before Hashem as we were before we descended even into this complex world. So let's look at our source sheet for a moment. And we're going to look at the first source. It's a source from Devarim, uh, Parshat Ekev. And the quote is as follows. Va'ata, I'll read the Hebrew and then the English. Va'ata Yisrael, ma Hashem Elokecha sho'el me'imach, ki im li'ira et Hashem Elokecha, lalechet b'chol durachav, ula'ava oto, ula'avod et Hashem Elokecha b'chol levavcha u'b'chol nafshecha. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God demand of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So as you read this pasuk, it sort of becomes increasingly uncomfortable. It starts off very simple. Okay, what does Hashem want from you? It sounds like, oh, I'm going to tell you something very simple. What do I want? Just that you should fear Hashem only to fear. Oh, and by the way, also to walk in all his ways. Oh, and to love him. 
and to worship him with all your heart and all your soul. So whew, now I'm overwhelmed. You know, there's a lot of things he's asking of me. <laughs> so it, it, the, the wording is also a little bit strange because it starts off as if, as if we're saying, oh, I'm just asking from you something really small, but then there's a long list. Okay, so we, we wanna, we're gonna explore that and, and understand, is Hashem asking of us something simple or something complex? And, and, and why the wording in this text like this? And in order to do so, we're actually going to go have a look at something that King David said to God, okay, in Tehillim. And this Tehillim is hopefully, probably well-known to you. It's uh, the, from the Perak of Tehillim that we say every day in the month of Elul, the David Hashem Ori, right? We say it before Enkelokeinu. Um, it's, a, it's a customary to say it every day of the month of Elul. Um, and it's, uh, it's a beautiful prayer that David is saying, King David is saying to Hashem. And there's one line in this, uh, in this parak of Tehillim, which is, uh, also has been, you know, made into beautiful songs and it's, it's quite a profound statement and, and it's very beautiful, but there's something that's mirroring. It's almost sounds like it's mirroring the, the previous pasuk that we just quoted. So I'm going to read it. This is source number two. King David says, So King David says to God, there's one thing I ask of you, Hashem. One thing that I seek, what is this thing? That I dwell in the house of Hashem all the days of my life. So you think, okay, period. No. Oh, and by the way, I also want to see the pleasantness of the Lord. And I also want to visit his temple every morning. So here it's sort of like a mirror of what we just read. That King David says, I have just one thing I want to ask you. Oh, no, but King David, it's not one thing. You're asking me one thing and two things and three things. So are you asking me something simple or asking me something complex? And there's a beautiful midrash which addresses this. And that's coming up in source number three. Just a moment. Um, here we are. Does anyone actually want to read? Um, you can just read the English. Does anyone else want to read? I'm like, I miss our interactive classes. <laughs> anyone feel like reading source number three in English? You can unmute yourself. What did I lose? I think I lost one. No sure. one? Oh, someone's doing it? Yeah. Who's doing it? I'll read. Okay, amazing. Go ahead. You can just read, yeah, you can just read the English from the Midrash to healing. Okay. God said to David, first you said only one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And then you proceed to ask for many things, to see the pleasantness of the Lord and to visit his temple every morning. He, David, replied, master of the world, should not be the servant, should not the servant be like his master? First you requested of me only one thing, as it says in Devarim 10.12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God demand of you? Only to fear the Lord your God. But then you proceed with many commandments, as it says, to walk in his way and to love him, etc. It is fitting for the servant to be like his master. Thank you, Dee. That was great. Brought me back to the classroom. Um, okay, so as you can see, this is the Midrash Tehillim is, is really just addressing this exact thing, that God's, God sort of says to David, one second, you know, you said you only asked one thing, but now you're asking me several things. And King David, I feel like this is a classic uh, Jewish conversation, right? <laughs> that, um, you know, also with God and the Jewish people, like, you know, we're sort of like back and forth thing. It's, it's like very, uh, it just has this classic Jewish sound to it. Um, it's reminiscent of like the, the sages in the Talmud and the sort of this back and forth. And, you know, one learns from the other. And God said, you know, you said you asked for one thing, but you asked for several things. And King David said, but I learned this from you. That's what, that's what, that's what I read in your Torah. You said, I only asked one thing of you to fear, to fear Hashem, but then you asked so many other things. And he says, you know, shouldn't the servant be like his master? I learned from the best. I learned from my creator. And so I asked too in the same form. 
So the first thing I want to say is, is this notion of the Torah does sometimes feel like it's not one thing at all. It's so many things and it's so much. And, you know, is, is, is this really what our marriage is about with Hashem? That there's all these things he's asking of us. And obviously, you know, if we remember that God is good and God ultimately is here for our benefit, he created us out of love and he's, and he wants to have a connection with us. So it's, it's not that there's a guidebook, a you know, a dictatorship, a set of commandments. It's not how we view the Torah. So what's, what's going on here? What is God asking? And, and, and when King David in turn says to God, I want to, you know, I want to dwell in your house, but then I have all these other requests. Is he really asking one thing or is he asking several things? So, I, I mean, you could, we could just sort of give a more simpler response to all of this and say, you know, there, everything in life can have its complex end or its simple end, right? The complex comes from the, from the single. So if we unravel something simple and we give it more details and we expand upon it, it has many more elements to it, right? So God is saying, I ask that you fear me in order, fearing God involves a lot of other things. It involves walking in God's ways, observing his commandments. It involves loving God. Love and fear are intertwined, right? So I'm asking you one thing that's made up of many things, right? And King David could say the same. God, I'm asking to sit in the house of the Lord. And that includes, I want to experience your pleasantness. I want to be able to visit the temple. I want to be with you. So it's not one thing I'm asking of you. It's one thing that encompasses many other things. And that we could, with that, we could lay the text to rest. But it's even more simple than that. It's even more beautiful than that. It's even more sweet than that. And for that, we're going to go to a Hasidic explanation by uh, the Noam Elimelech. Noam Elimelech is, it's a name. It's the name of Rabbi Elimelech of Lijensk who was a Hasidic master. It's also the name of his, the, the Sefer that he wrote. So his, his, his book is named after him, Noam Elimelech, and he's referred to as the Noam Elimelech, or Elimelech of Vigens. He was a student of the Magid of Mizrich, and he was a colleague of the Alter Rebbe, of the author of the Tanya, Rabbi Shneir Zalman from Liadi. And he, he was a Rebbe in his own right. He, in fact, he had many Hasidim, many Hasidim who were drawn to him, and many of his Hasidim, many of his followers became Hasidic masters in their own right. So he, he, his, his way of teaching Torah and Hasidut has, has a sweetness to it. And it has, um, there's something very expansive about it. And I loved his explanation on, on this sort of uh, complexity here. And he says something very, very beautiful. I did not quote it all to you because it was long. Um, so I'm just gonna work on your source sheet. You just have a little bit of it. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna, I'm, we're gonna read the beginning of it and then I'll, I'll continue. I'll, we'll continue on with the, with the second part. So where is the source sheet? I just misplaced it. Okay. Here we are. Okay. I'll just read the Hebrew, the, the English for you here. This is, he, it, it, it's longer. So this is just an excerpt. He begins by saying, he says, that the creator, blessed is he, created the world only in order to bestow good upon creation. Okay? So meaning, our first premise is here, Hashem just wants to give you good. That's all. That was the whole point of this whole world. He had a desire to, God is the essence of goodness. He's, you know, the, if you wanted, if you had a dictionary and you wanted to put the word God and give it a definition, you could say God is goodness. That is, in Judaism, the, the nature of God is to do good. That, that is the definition of God. It's goodness. And so when he creates the world, his whole desire in creating the world is just to bestow good. It's just to give this abundant good out to creation. But, the Noam Elimelech says, in order to fulfill this, I'm reading from the quote, a proper vessel is required to receive the good. Meaning, Okay, Hashem has all this good he wants to bestow upon us, right? But who's going who's gonna to take it? Who's going to receive it? Where is he going to put it? Where is all the light going to go? And here is the parable. And he gives a simple, sweet parable. He says, a person 
who desires to send to someone else a barrel of wine or honey. He wants to send him a gift. He wants to give him these, you know, precious, beautiful things, wine, honey, but he does not have a fine vessel in which to send it. Okay, he has no way to send this wine or honey. He can't, he, he needs something to contain it. So here's the irony. He borrows a fine vessel of silver from his friend. He has a friend who does have vessels. He borrows a fine vessel of silver from his friend, fills it with the wine or the honey, and then sends it to the one to whom the vessel belongs. So I want to send you a gift. I have nowhere to put the gift, right? And I know that you have a really nice bottle in your house that I can pour the gift into. And then I give you the gift in the bottle that belongs to you. So he says, this is a parable for God. God has all this good he wants to give us, but the light needs a vessel. It needs somewhere to go. And so he comes to the Jewish people and he says, will you be my vessel? Will you be my space? I have light to give you. I have seeds to plant. I want to give you fruit, but the fruit comes from a seed and the seed needs to be planted in the earth. Are you willing to be the earth in which I can plant this seed? And what is the whole point of this? I just want you to have fruit in the end. I want you to be that space for the seed to rot and grow and turn into a tree and bear fruit, and then you'll eat the fruit. That's, that's all this is about. That's all I'm asking of you. Will you be my space? Will you be my earth? Will you be the vessel into which I can pour the wine or the honey? And of course, this is what happened at Sinai, right? What happens is God's asking us, will you be my people? Will you be my nation? Will you receive my Torah? And who says no to fruit? Who says no to light? Who says no to goodness? So what did we say? We said, na'aseh and, and these are the famous words that you have probably heard so many times. Na'aseh, we said we will do. Venishma, and we will hear, we will listen, we will understand. We first said we will do, we will be. We first said, yes, we'll be your space. You can plant a seed in my earth. You can give me a mitzvah. You can, you can, you can hand it all to me. And along the way, if I get to understand it, if I get to listen, if I get to experience meaning in it, if I get to be inspired, if I get to be on fire, that will be a treat. But really, I just want to be with you. I just want to be your space. I just want to be the place where you can lay your light down. And so, yes, I'll do it all. I'm putting myself aside. I'm not even trying to understand it. I'm just here. I'm here to be with you. And these, these seven weeks of, of storytelling, right, the Svirata Omer, is we're stripping away these layers, right? We're, we're, we're trying to get to our truth. And now we stand before Hashem, you know, Erev Shavuot, right before Shavuot. We have no action. We have no mitzvah for the holiday. It's just us. We're a tilled plot of land waiting for Hashem's light to come in. Why is, and, and the question is, why is our land tilled? Why is our land ready? Because we've been storytelling. We've been counting. We've been sifting through the, the nuances of our being. We've been questioning our attributes. We've been challenging ourselves to rise. We've been refining the parts of ourselves that need a little bit more plowing, a little bit more weeding. You know, that's what we've been doing. We've been clearing our land just so that we can take in the seed, just so that we can let the tree grow, just so that we can taste the fruit that Hashem always wanted to give us. But the Noam Elimelech brings out this point through a word from the text. And, and I always tell you this, I love the Hebrew language because it's magical. It's literally like a code. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a secret code for all the knowledge. And it, it's, it, it can be one letter that will just hold the answer to, to some paradox in, in, in the text. And here's what the Rabbi Elimelech of Vizhensk, of Vizhensk says. If we go back to, if you can go back to your source just for a minute, okay, um, go back to the first source, right? This is the, the first text that we were looking at that bothered us. We said, and now, O Israel, what does God 
the quest of you, just that you fear him, and then, oh, by the way, and that you love him and walk in his ways and all these other things. If you look at the Hebrew, Yisrael, ma Hashem elokecha, sho'el me'imach. Typically, we translate that as what does God sho'el, like she'ela, what does God ask of you? What does he require of you? What is he demanding of you? But the word sho'el in Hebrew is the same root as, um, like she'ila is to borrow. She'ila is a question, but you can also use the same word to borrow something. That, and, and Rabbi Elimelech of says, read this pasuk as follows. And now, O Israel, what does Hashem want to borrow? Just you. All he's asking is for you. That's all he wants. He wants to borrow you. You're the vessel, right? He needed to send honey or wine, fruit. He needed to send the gift. He had no vessel with which to send it. And so he wants to borrow your vessel. He says, hey, can you come a little closer? Can I pour my light into you? Are you willing to be the space that I can bestow you with good? And then the verse continues. And Rabbi Elimelech of says, but how can he get this vessel? If your land has not been tilled, right? We all know if, if earth has not been plowed or prepared, then the seed cannot be planted and the seed can't grow and the, and the tree doesn't bear fruit. So God wants to give you the fruit. We're, we want to eat the fruit. But we're, we're the plot of land. The, all we can do is show up with a good plowed plot of land ready for planting, right? We're not going to plant. Hashem holds the seeds. He holds the power of growth. I, we are like the earth, right? We're, we're like the sphira of Malchut. We are this, uh, like Mother Earth. Like we're just waiting to be planted in. But if the earth has not been refined and tilled and prepared, then the seed won't take root. And so he, he reads the verse and he says, what does Hashem want to borrow? Just you, just you, just your plot of land, just your heart, just your, just your space. But the only thing you need to do is prepare that land, prepare that earth. You need to create a fear of God. You need to create a love of God. You need to walk in his ways. Meaning all of these things that you're going to do, they're not a list of commandments. They're just tools that God has given you to till the earth so that he can give you light. So every time you do a mitzvah, you're not, it's not something that God is burdening you with. Oh, can you please do this for me? It's God saying, hey, I really want to shine light on you. If you can make a blessing on that fruit, you will have carved a space inside of you for my light to shoot right in. If you can, you know, say the prayer at this time, you will have carved a space in your soil for another seed to come in. All of the things that I have put into my Torah, they are ways for you to plow your land. And what do I need from you? I just need your land. I just need your earth. I just need you. I just need the vessel. I don't need anything else. I just need a ready space that is willing and open for my light to come in. And if you think, if you, I love this parable of like the earth or a vessel, because if you think of a vessel or the earth, there's nothing that it, you know, the earth does nothing but surrender herself to the seed, right? And then everything else happens by itself. So as soon as we say, here we are, we're here, we're ready, right? Hashem, we want your light. Then the light comes in, the seed takes root, the tree grows and the fruit is there and we get to experience the sweetness of Hashem. And so suddenly this uh, connection with Hashem is not, suddenly the Torah is not a list of commandments. It's not, it's not a request even. It's a cry or a call or a romantic letter that says, I want to be with you and I'm going to help you be the space for me to be with you. It's, it's, it's really something very beautiful that God has done. He said, I'm going to help you make your space uh, plantable. And so we come before Hashem on Shavuot and, and the energy I think of Shavuot is there that there's just one thing to be, ourselves, right? We're not coming, like I said, with a mitzvah, with a mascot, with a banner, with, with something. We're just coming 
committed. That's all. There's no frills. There's no show. It's just me stripped down to, you know, this empty plot of land. And I say, Hashem, will you shine your light on it? And I think what's a little bit ironic is that the giving of the Torah, like we said, it wasn't quiet. It was, it was happening. It was a big deal. It was dramatic. It was fantastical, right? It's described with, you know, lightning and thunder and sound and even so much so that the Jews were overwhelmed by it. Um, but the whole point of Matan Torah, the whole point of all that noise, of all those lights and sounds, was to point us to something so quiet, to something so sweet, to something so pure, to this meeting of Hashem and the Jewish people that is so raw and real and wholesome and, and, and simple, really. And I think this is true in life in general, that the loudest things in life are often here to point us to very simple truths. You know, if you think of some of maybe the hardest things you've been through or some of the most complex or overwhelming things you've been through, often it has been to bring you to something very simple that you were missing. You know, something, this quiet, simple truth in my life that I didn't notice, that I wasn't grateful for, that I had been blind to. It's like, but it has to, it comes with noise because here we are humans and we make a lot of noise. And if God doesn't knock louder than we are, then we, we'll, we'll just miss it. We won't pay attention. So it's almost like the, the giving of the Torah was a one-time loud affair, but every Shavuot, when it comes again, it's very quiet. It's very personal. It's very romantic. It's very sweet. It's very intimate. You know, we don't re-experience all the drama again. We re-experience the heart of it, which was essence to essence and, and just that we agreed to really be a womb for Hashem's light. And, you know, it's, it's actually a beautiful parable to, to, to use the womb. And obviously the womb, Mother Earth, these are all, you know, these all represent the same idea because if we are in a relationship with Hashem, Hashem is giving the light, he's giving the seed, and, and we, the Jewish people, are the space. We're the space for all of that to, to birth and to bear fruit. And, you know, the, the, the simplicity of Shavuot, this sweet simplicity, this, this simple moment of meeting, is, I think, for us, a message of how to be natural Jews. You know, if you come to Judaism you know, if you look from the outside in, it looks complicated. It looks intense. It looks like there's strings attached and rules and times, and it's, it's a lot. But from the inside out, from the heart of it, it's actually a very natural process. It's a meeting of God and creation, and everything else flows from there. Meaning, if I want to be intimate with Hashem, then every mitzvah that I do is just another carving of space. And when I say, Hashem, will you shine your light in me? It's a natural flow of events that he will, sh when he shines the light, I will experience, like King, King David was asking, the pleasantness of Hashem. I will experience the sweetness. And, and going back to that conversation they had, each of them seemed to be asking for one thing, but then there was a list of all these other things. And, and really the resolution to that is, we are asking, Hashem is asking one thing of us, and we're asking one thing of him. He's saying, will you be my space? And we are saying, will you shine your light? And the rest of the list is a natural unfolding of the process, and it should feel natural. And I think when we have moments in our lives where it doesn't feel natural, we need to remember, like the Baal Shem Tov said, we need to remember, we need to see what do we remember? You know, can we remember that moment when we first met? Can we remember the moment of birth? Can we remember the moment before it got complex? because that's the heart of everything. And from there, it should flow naturally, which means when Hashem says, will you be my space? And I say, yes, then the mitzvot come naturally. I naturally take action. I naturally make a blessing. I naturally pray. I naturally do these things because each one is a making of space for this light. And when I say, Hashem, will you shine your light? He shines the light and I I get to experience it. The seed takes root and the tree grows and there's fruit and there's sweetness. So if there's anything that Shavuot can bestow us with, I think it's the, the gift or the energy of being natural Jews. And here's the irony. The Torah seems to be a book or a guidebook or a, a guide of 
all these things you need to do or all the things God is asking you to do. And I think it's, it's a double-edged sword, meaning at the other end, what we're really saying is there is nothing to do. We're not coming from a space of these are things you need to do. There is no commandment. There is a relationship. And when you're in this relationship, all the mitzvot, all the connections, all the carving of space will just unfold because you are committed to being that space and Hashem is committed to being your light. And so we're counting down these days, right? We're counting down this time, or like we said, we're, we're storytelling. And what we're doing is we're counting down towards or we're counting up towards our natural selves. If you want to say, when we, if we go back to Pesach, we were also storytelling in Pesach time, right? Pesach is, the whole thing of Pesach is a telling of a story. But the story was complex there. In fact, the story starts very complex, right? We're slaves, there's trauma. And we continue this, this storytelling through Sfirata Omer. But as we continue telling the story, the story becomes more and more refined. It, we're getting closer to the heart of the story. And here we arrive at Shavuot and we touch on the truth. That we are natural our natural selves are just light, untainted, that we are exactly. one with Hashem. And this is the story that we're, that we're uh, telling towards, so to speak. And there will be moments in our lives that we, that we forget, that we forget where we came from, how we started, how pure we are, how untainted we are. And in those moments, what we can turn to is actually the Torah. When we don't have the words to tell the story, when it feels like you don't have letters, you know, you know when we're, you know when you feel overwhelmed and, and crushed and like you can't remember the source, you can't remember the truth, you don't feel connected. And it's this, you know, when somebody says to you, I don't even have words for how I'm feeling, I don't even have letters, I can't even, I can't tell you my story. I'm I'm still in, I'm so numb, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so disconnected from myself, I'm so far, I can't even speak. In that moment, the Torah serves as our letters. The Torah serves as the story because in the heart of the Torah is, is the light we began in. And, and this is why the Torah is really considered our medicine. And on the days that we feel disconnected, I mean, the greatest remedy we can give ourselves is to study a piece of Torah. And I've seen it for myself. Like, you know, sometimes I just feel like, where is the light? Like. I'm so far from the light. I, I don't even have, I can't even trace my way back to it. And in those moments, what we need to do is go straight to the medicine jar. You know, don't try to do the long process. Don't go from the complex to the simple because it's going to take too long. And sometimes you just need the medicine now. But in those moments, if you turn to a piece of Torah, anything, just open up the Chumash, anything. For me, of course, Hasidic teachings, I think, you know, they get to the heart really quickly. But it's like, it's just like taking a concentrated spoon of medicine and, and what you're really doing is you're, you're reconnecting back to that light, back to that memory of when you were one, of, of the fact that you are one, because like we said, it's happening at the same time. It's, it's not a one-time occurrence. It's something that's always there. We just lose touch with that place. And so the, just the knowledge that we can turn to the words of Torah when we don't have our own words is, is really, it's, it's a, a remedy, it's a, it's a medicine, it's a gift. But also to know that we have the ability to story tell, to tell the story of our lives, of our souls, and to go through that process and to reach that sweet, pure place on our own, which is what we've all been doing all this time. And it's the experience that we're going to have on Shavuot is to reconnect to that place. Um, there's a beautiful Hayom Yom, which I'm sure some of you may have heard before. I just want to read it to you in English. I can find it here. Yeah, here goes. Okay. Um, so it's, uh, it's the Hayom Yom begins, uh, it's about uh, Rabbi Arya Leib of, Sh of Shpoli, or he's also known as the Shpola Zeda, which translates as the grandfather of Shpola. He was a student of the Magad of Mezrich, and he was a uh, end of the Baal Shem Tov. So you can already imagine how he thought and, and what his life was fused with. Um, so the Shpala Zeta, the Rabbi Arya Leib of Shpali, who I'm reading the translation of the Hayom Yom now, was a man of intense fervor, far more than any of his colleagues. 
the Magid's other disciples. When he visited the Alter Rebbe in Liadi in 1809 or 1810, I guess there's a, we're not certain of the year, he related, this is what he related, that when he was a child of three, he saw the Baal Shem Tov. He, and he said that the Baal Shem Tov, he played, uh, Rabbi Arya Leibov Shpoli said about the Baal Shem Tov, he placed his holy hand on my heart, and ever since I have felt warm. And the Hayom Yom ends, a gesture of a tzaddik, certainly seeing him and hearing his voice, must make an impression never to be forgotten. I love this story just because it's, it's everything Hasidic and sweet and, and heartwarming. But for me, it, it also brings up this idea that we're speaking about Shavuot, because if, if the gesture of a tzaddik, if the Baal Shem Tov putting his hand on the heart of, his, of this three-year-old kept him warm forever, if we can remember the day that we were touched by Hashem, we're not even talking about a tzaddik who's, you know, you know, channeling Hashem. We're talking about the day that we were one face-to-face -face with Hashem, right? The giving of the Torah where he, he said, will you be mine? Will you be my space? To rem if we can remember the day that we were touched by Hashem, that so to speak, he put, you know, his divine hand on our heart, then just that memory can keep us warm. Just going back to that space inside of ourselves, which like I said, is not a distant memory because although humans are linear, the soul is not linear. And so everything's happening all at the same time. So there is a place inside of you where you are meeting Hashem face to face every day. And if you can step into that space, when things get disconnected or distant or far, and even if you can't do it yourself to use the words of Torah or, or a, Hasidic story, like if we're speaking of storytelling, to re-enter that space, then you will always have the light with you. And like I said, all the complexity then just falls away. So when I think back to the woman at Bellevue who was sort of choosing a day that she was like, this is the day I'm working towards. And that's what keeps me going. What she really was doing is saying, I already see myself healed. There is a part of me that is healed. Maybe in a linear form, it hasn't happened yet, right? Maybe there's a timeline in the physical world for it, but I'm already there. I'm in the space where I'm one, where I am whole, where I am healed. And I'm just, I'm just counting towards it. I'm just moving towards it. I'm just storytelling towards it. And, and that is what keeps my faith every single moment. So I bless us all. We still have a, a couple, I don't know how many, how many weeks we have left of the storytelling, a couple weeks that we can feel confident and, and confident to be authentic and natural and to let all the layers fall away and really to feel, to feel how we are naturally flowing in our Judaism and to get the gift on Shavuot to feel like natural Jews, to feel like naturally one with Hashem and to feel the sweetness of him saying, will you be my space? And the ease of us responding and saying, why wouldn't I be your space to let a seed rot and grow and a tree bear fruit and to have sweet fruit for the rest of my life? And I bless us all to taste those fruits in whatever form we need them. You can unmute yourselves and share your thoughts. Or Thank you, Sarah. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. It was so nice. I feel so inspired. You're so sweet. You girls are the sweetest. I want, I was going to say at the beginning of the class that for me, when I learn Torah or when I'm preparing a class, it's really like light is coming in, right? Like when you're learning, it's like there's light and I generally need like, I need some time for the light to settle and for the letters, to, you know, the light to find form and have words and before this class started, I was like, I really need another couple of days for the, for the ideas and the words and the light to find their place inside of me. And I was like, Hashem, just, just speak through me because I don't feel like I'm ripe yet, but I'm glad that he channeled it right for you. <laughs> so you, you, you girls were the space for the light to come in. So thank you for being such open, beautiful vessels 
for the seeds to take root and the trees to grow. And if you leave me here longer, I'll start saying poetry. <laughs> Please. Thank you, Karen. That was amazing. What a gift. I don't even know who's on. I, I, I haven't been able to like see everybody, but uh, I'm going to make my screen big. Oh, hi, everyone. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Your next class is starting in at 8.15, so you have like a 10-minute breather. Thanks for joining, girls. It's really a gift, and I don't know. Any questions or before I end our meeting? What? You're the best. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> is everyone well? Is everyone good? Yeah? Hopefully, yeah. Everyone's like nodding sweetly. <laughs> you could tell me if it's not, you know. I take that too. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, it's, this is so fun. Like I can get through this. And then I'm like, other days I'm just like, no, I'm so over this. I know. Wait, are you all in lockdown? Because I feel like we're all living different stages. Like I said, like Israel's opened up. South Africa's still in lockdown and you can only go to the shops to get essential stuff. Okay. And you can go out to run from 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. Oh, I wouldn't be there. <laughs> <Six a. M. laughs> wow. I feel like South Africa like caught up a little late. Like, isn't that what we were all doing like a few months ago? <laughs> yeah. I think the problem is, is like they worried about the townships because mm. doctors in the townships and if it hits the townships, it's going to be like a mess deaths. Right. Wow. And everyone in the U.S., I mean, I know you're in different states probably, but like, are you all, are things reopened a little bit or? Okay. American. We're in Israel. Home order in Pennsylvania. It's been extended until June and it'll probably be extended again. Wait, wait, where you are, your house gone till when? Till June? June. But it's not, it's not like you, I go for walks every day and I go to the supermarket like every other week. So everything is still going on. It's just mostly grocery stores and pharmacies that are the only ones open. Um, the it's just like nowhere to go, but you can actually go out. Yeah. Oh, and Chicago, they're kind of starting to open up, but they're doing things that you can social distance. So like drive-in movie theaters. <laughs> Would you rather stay home? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Adina, are you pretty much same, same? Yeah, I'm in New Jersey. Okay. Um, so I'm, I don't leave the house and haven't for a couple months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, in Israel, they're opening things up. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad to say it, but some days when I go outside, I'm like, can everyone please go home? <laughs> because I, I like, like when the world is quiet. So... <laughs> For yeah. me, I'm like having trauma of re-entering the universe. I'm like, wait, I like yeah. this more. <laughs> I want everyone to be healthy and well, but I want everyone to be home and quiet. <laughs> yeah. So it's weird. It's weird. And I also don't want, I sort of feel like this was a spiritual procedure from heaven. And I, I don't want us to yeah. come back the same. Like if we're back yeah. outside, we need to be more mindful or more kinder or something, right? Like yeah. I don't want to go back. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So you guys are you guys are getting the longer end of this. So can you make sure we're a changed people? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, oh my this god, there's awesome. two of you together. I didn't even we're, realize. We're, we're in Israel. Oh, you're in Israel. I don't know why I didn't even realize that. I should yeah, have known that. I see it says the villa, and I was like not even realizing what was what that meant. I'm like the villa. Oh my gosh, hi guys. Oh, we can actually see each other. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. I'm sitting with you and, and Sarah's downstairs. Oh, so fun. Oh, that's sweet. I guess it feels closer, even though we're all on the same screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Guys, really, a gift to see you all. I feel like I'm going to end the meeting just so that if the next person tries to log in, they can, because we're all using the same user, I think. And I don't want to give, they, I gave someone a lot of editing work now, right? They're going to have to cut out a lot of before beginning, beginning <laughs> and end of our Zoom. <laughs> Sorry, editor. But it was so fun <laughs> chatting. Thank you. Love Thank you, you all. Thank and you. be in touch in whatever form works for you. I love hearing from you. 
See you. You're the best. Bye. I love you.